This morning, our、um, Bible reading comes from John chapter twelve, verses twenty to forty-three, actually. But before we listen to God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege that we can gather together as your people to listen to your word, your living words, and we pray that you would help us see and understand that your Holy Spirit might do that in us, that we may、um, hear your words well. We pray that、um, later on, as Dave、um, comes up to explain your word to us, that he might do so clearly,、um, such that we may、um, be challenged、um, and. Grow to love you more from listening to you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. John chapter twelve, starting in verse twenty. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went on to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it is for th- it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it, was, it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, "This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when, lift, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself." He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the Lord that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, "You are going to have to lie just a little longer, while longer. Walk while you have to lie, before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have to lie." So that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. There was this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet: "Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed?" For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they can neither so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet 
At the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for the fear that they, they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than the praise from God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem. The crowds, the masses have arrived in Jerusalem because the Passover is on hand. The Passover, the time where the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, remember that God had saved them out of slavery from Egypt and he had rescued them out of that awful situation into their own land. The Passover was a big, massive celebration on the Jewish calendar for the Jews. And so a million people, they reckon, would have verged on Jerusalem at this time. A huge, huge crowd in a very small place celebrating uh, the Passover. And Jesus too, he too has made it up to Jerusalem as well. And we've seen last week that this is Jesus' final week. This is the last week before he dies, that grueling death on the cross. And as Jesus arrives, approaches Jerusalem, The masses, the crowds have come out to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem. They give him the ticket tape parade, a hero's welcome for Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They have come to welcome the king of Judah into his city, Jerusalem. But you see, the people don't understand. They do not understand. They think Jesus is the 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 conquering king, the king who will come and crush their enemies, particularly the Romans who are occupying them at this moment. They think Jesus is going to lead a a rebellion, an uprising against the Romans, kick them out, and the Jews can reign again. But you see, Jesus squashes this idea. Do you remember that from last week? He squashes that idea, getting rid of their expectations by riding in on a donkey. He rides in on a donkey, not a war horse ready to lead this rebellion. No, no, no. He rides in on a donkey, a humble king who comes in peace. Well, the Pharisees who have seen all this happening, they're like freaking out. They're like, man, they're dreading. And if you have a look from last week's passage from verse 19, this is what the the Pharisees say. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. You see, while they say the whole world has gone after them, they're really just looking in with, with tunnel vision. They're not really the whole world. Sure, there's lots of people in Jerusalem at the time, and, and lots of them are pretty pumped, they're pretty excited that Jesus has come to town. But see, it's not quite the whole world per se. But you see, the irony comes in the very first verse of ours this morning. And that is the people who are seeking an audience with Jesus. Follow along from verse 20. Now there were some Greeks, that is non-Jews, among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Well, the irony for the Pharisees is that now some Greeks, those of the world, have come to see Jesus. You see, the Passover was a time of great celebration for for many, many, many Jews, but we see here that there were non-Jews who would come celebrate the Passover too. So we can see here that these Greeks are certainly God-fearing, they feared God, but it doesn't seem like they had converted to, to, to Judaism. And so 
Gentiles could kind of celebrate uh, the, the Passover with the people. They could never, ever enter the temple. If they entered the temple, they would be killed. But, but they could celebrate with the people. They were kind of, there was this like wall, this division, this kind of way back room kind of called the courtyard of the Gentiles. And it was kind of in that way, hidden away kind of area that they could celebrate uh, with the Jews. You see, there had always been this division, this division between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles could never really partake in the same way that the Jews would. And yet the Greeks, these Greek people seek an audience with Jesus. Maybe they've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've heard, hey, he seems quite different from the other religious leaders. He seems to question that division, that inferior status of the Gentiles. And so these Greeks, they seek an audience with Jesus. And that's what Jesus says next, which is quite fascinating. Have a look there at verse 23. After Jesus hears the Greeks wanting to chat, he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Greeks come and Jesus says, The hour has come. Now here's a tip for the university students. I know there's quite a few university students here. Big tip. When it comes to exams, always answer the question in front of you. You may not know how to answer the question. You may want to talk about your favourite thing, but always answer the question in front of you. Big tip from me about how to answer exams in questions. How to answer questions in exams. And so don't follow Jesus' lead here. You see, Jesus, he, the Greeks come and he talks about the hour. Huh? What's that got to do? That, there's, there's no connection there, it seems. You see, we've seen this hour. As, as we've kind of gone through the book of, of John, as we, we started it last year, we've seen this hour come up multiple and multiple times. Uh, but up until this point, it hasn't been the hour. It has not been the time. So I wonder if you can remember back to, to John chapter 2. As Jesus Mary asks Jesus to deal with the wine problem at the wedding festival. Uh, he says, my hour has not yet come. A few chapters later in John chapter 4, as Jesus speaks to the Samaritan woman, he says, a time is coming, a time is coming in the future. We see it again in chapter 5 twice, we see it three times in chapter 7, and we see it again in chapter 8. There's a dispute among the people about what they should do with Jesus, and while someone want to seize him, we see that yet no one seized him because... His hour had not yet come. You see, the hour had not been right. And yet here as some Greeks come and approach Jesus to speak to him, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so how is it? How is it that the Son of Man will be glorified? Let's continue reading. Have a look there from verse 24. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. You see, the Son of Man, that is Jesus, he will be glorified, how? Through his death. His death will bring him great glory. And you see, Jesus, he explains this using agricultural terms. Uh, that is, 
they were a people who, who, who lived off the land. And so they were fully aware of this kind of stuff. But let me try to explain it to you as Jesus speaks about the, the seed. Uh, the seed in its death, it's what uh, biologists uh, might call germination. That is, germination usually happens when a plant uh, is grown from a single seed. You see, the seed it is, is planted into the soil and as it dies, it grows to form a seedling and then over time becomes a plant. And so from one seed that enters the ground, the plant is grown and many, 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 many more seeds are produced. You see, germination is actually vital to our survival of, as humanity. But just imagine with me, just for a minute, if all the seeds, they got together, the seeds came together and they held a forum and they said, look, us seeds, we've had enough. We're saying no more death to seeds. Our ancestors, they've died too many times in, the, in, in history. We've, uh, we've had enough seeds. We are going on strike. No more death for seeds. That's just a silly thing to say, but if that happened, well, humanity would, would die. We would very quickly run out of food, very quickly. And so just as the seed and germination produces a great crop, you see, Jesus' death generates a huge harvest and gives life to many. Like we saw last week, without death, there is no hope of life. You see, Jesus knew full well that he was going to die and that his death would be for the good of many because without death, there is no life. You see, Jesus was going to do the radical. He was going to radically give his life, die for the good of the many. But here's the thing. He expects the same from his followers. Jesus expects this radical behavior from those who want to be his disciples. As, as he speaks about his death, in his next breath he speaks about our death because Jesus is our model. Have a look there from verse 25, the very next verse. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Where And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. And you see, just like Jesus' death gives life, if we want the life that Jesus gives, eternal life, we too must die. We too must die to the world. You see, we live in a time and, and place where we live and breathe, where the focus is us. It is always about me, myself, and I. But you see, this shameless focus on, on self is really the heart of sin. You see, Jesus tells us here that our inward focus, our love of our life, well, that is our death. You see, as we elevate ourselves, as we love ourselves, as we elevate the, the me within me, well, we are actually denying God. And Jesus tells us this is how we will lose our life. But you see, not to pander to self-interest and that our deepest level, 
that we reject making ourselves the focus of, of everything? Well, that is that we are dying. And in fact, we are gaining life. And it's actually just like Jesus says elsewhere, probably more, more famously in Mark 8, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. You see, for Jesus, his death was his glory and it is exactly the same for us. Our death to the world is to the glory for, for our glory. As we follow in his footsteps, we die to the world. But you see, our death to the world will be vindicated. As we see, did you see that in verse 26 at the end there? Because we will be honoured by the Father. <clears throat> well, the hour has come. <coughs> the hour has come for Jesus to die. And the hour has come for God to be glorified. Now, glory uh, is a word that kind of gets thrown around lots, but glory means heaviness, weighty worthiness. That is God's splendor, his magnificence. While we might think that his glory is revealed in creation, uh, through his power, through his angels, it's actually revealed through his goodness. You see, we have seen his goodness through the earthly ministry of Jesus. As, as Jesus has done the incredible things in, in the signs and wonders and, and miraculous things he has done, he has displayed God's glory. But we also see God's glory on the cross. You see, at the cross, when Jesus dies, God will be glorified. But you see, Jesus is, is aware of this. And he knows that he's about to die. But have a look how he's feeling. Have a look there at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. You see, Jesus knows exactly what he's walking to. And where he's, and he's deeply troubled by it. It's not like the boxer. You know, I don't know if you like box, probably not, but anyway, boxing, that, or, or any kind of fight, I don't know why they do this, but they come in with music really loud and blaring, pump themselves up, yeah, I'm gonna beat this guy, and they kinda like, they're, they're not going into fear, they've got the music to kind of rev them up, yeah, I'm gonna take them on, but that's not Jesus here. There's no music blaring, he knows exactly what is going on for him. He's in full dread. As, as, as he walks, aware of the horror that, that awaits him. He is anxious because he knows that he is going to die and face God's wrath. That God's anger towards humanity will be poured out on him as he dies in our place for the sins of the world. You see, as Jesus heads to the cross, he is daunted by it. And so he prays, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? You see, whilst our natural inclination is to shrink from death, to avoid it or even to talk about it, you see, that is not Jesus. Because in the very next sentence he says, no, it was for this very hour, for, sorry, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You see, the very time, the very same time that Jesus prays to be spared from the hour, to escape his responsibility, he straight away shows that he is unshakable, completely reliable in his commitment to obey the Father's will. You see, he can't not go through it. He must go to the cross because that is why he has come. 
and while the cross is a grueling, humiliating, awful way to die, you see, the cross is for God's glory. And we see here four reasons uh, why it is so crucial. You see, the first one there is in, is in verse 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now is the time for judgment on the world. You see, as Jesus is, is lifted up onto the cross and dies that awful, grueling death, it shows that judgment has begun. You see, Jesus was the great light who shined radiantly, brightly on our dark deeds of this world. He exposes the evil deeds for what they are, and he passes judgment on them. You see, Jesus was the one righteous person, the one person who ever lived without sin. And yet he dies in our place. You see, he takes the punishment we deserve, and so we stand condemned as the one righteous man is judged on the cross. We stand condemned as and judged by Jesus as he dies on the cross. And while the glory of the cross shows that judgment on the world has come, it also shows us, verse 31, now the prince of this world will be driven out. You see, well, we, we might look at the cross and we might think, well, the prince of the world, that is Satan, we might actually think, ah, that's, he's won. You know, here is the, here is the king of the world, the, the, the creator, the sustainer, God himself, Jesus, the son of man. Here he is, hung on the cross. Surely, uh, surely Satan has won. But you see, actually, it is his demise and his defeat as Jesus dies for humanity's Sin. You see, Satan, he reigns over death. He reigns over sin. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sin, well, sin is defeated. And when Jesus raises from the, from the grave, uh, to the death could not defeat him, well, he destroys death in his resurrection. You see, Satan's reign is over. Sin and the reign of death is no more because of the glorious cross. And Satan is driven out. Well, the third thing that the glorious cross shows us is there in verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth. You see, Jesus, uh, not Jesus, sorry, John makes really clear in verse 33, doesn't it, that, that he's referring to Jesus' death here. That is, he will be lifted up onto the cross. But like we've seen earlier in John's gospel, uh, in John chapter 3, and uh, particularly John chapter 3 and certainly in John chapter 8, when it speaks about the Son of Man being lifted up, we see that there was a double meaning. Do you remember that? There was a double meaning. One, he will be lifted up onto the cross in his death, but he will also be lifted up in exaltation, in resurrection, in glory. He will be lifted up onto the death, but also as he is exalted in his resurrection. And the final thing Jesus' death does is that, again, from verse 32, he will draw all people to himself. You see, this final point is really integral, is really essential to the Greek question. Remember the Greeks that came in the start? You see, because in Jesus' glorifying death on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. 
You see, there will no longer be a distinction between cultures and, and nations, between the, the Jews and the Gentiles. In, in Ephesians 2, it speaks about the dividing wall of hostility. That wall is no more. The, the Jews will no longer be kept, uh, the Gentiles will no longer be kept away in the courtyard of the Gentiles. No, 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 that, that will be destroyed. And instead, the only distinction that will be made are for those who love this life and those who hate this life. The only distinction will be for those who trust and believe in the glorious death of our Lord Jesus and those who reject him. You see, that is the only distinction that will be made. And so what is it about the Greeks? Well, see, they spark the arrival of the world, of all people having access to come to Jesus. And so the hour of the cross has come when when God will be glorified. And, and the outcome and the result of that, of his death and, and resurrection, is that all people, including the Greeks, including us who aren't Jews, that we too can approach God the Father through Jesus because there will no longer be divisions in, in culture or or. Uh, or nations, it will only be on faith. But you see, as the crowds hear Jesus speak, they just don't get it. In verse 34, they ask uh, rightfully, uh, what do you mean the Son of Man will be lifted up? Uh, won't the Messiah live forever? And, and they're right. They, these are certainly promises that were made in the Old Testament. Um, but while it seems that they understand what Jesus says, they seem to be aware that he's saying that the Son of Man will, will die, they just don't understand how that will work. How will that relate to glory? Because it doesn't fit to their understanding. And so in classic Jesus fashion, he doesn't answer their question and just tells them of his impending death. Have a look there at verse 35. You are going to have the light just a little while longer. And so... Walk in the light whilst you have it, because darkness is coming as the light is taken away, as Jesus is taken away, as he dies, it brings darkness. And so Jesus' encouragement to them is to walk in the light whilst he is there. Then when the darkness comes, well, they won't be mastered by the light. Verse 36, believe in the light whilst you have the light, so that you may become children of light. You see, it's not going to be easy to follow Jesus after the cross. Jesus encourages the crowd and tells them to trust him now, before he's taken from the world. See, he's the light of the world. Darkness is coming. Trust in the light now, before they find themselves in complete darkness without him. But you see, they don't understand. And as Jesus leaves the crowd, hiding himself from them, in fact, this is the last time that Jesus is seen publicly among the people. He won't be seen publicly again until he is hanging on that cross. You see, as the people have have spent all this time with Jesus, the crowd do not understand. Despite all he's done, despite all the miraculous, wonderful signs he's performed, Verse 37, they still would not believe in him. 
You see, the signs were meant to point to his identity, but they would not believe. But you see, here's the thing. It was meant to be this way. They were not meant to believe. They were not meant to believe at that particular point in time. And John shows us this by quoting a couple of passages from from the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah. Have a look and follow along from verse 37. They still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. And then quoting from Isaiah 53, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And in, in the context of, of Jesus, in, in this particular point of time, the people, they have seen the arm of the Lord. They have seen the miraculous signs. They have seen the miracles. But yet they have not believed. They have not believed the message. They haven't believed what the points signs are pointing to. But why? Again, let's continue reading from verse 39. They could not believe because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he was he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. You see, in Isaiah 6, where this is quoted from, uh, the prophet Isaiah, he is commissioned by God to speak to the Jews. This is 700 years before the time of Jesus. Uh, the prophet Isaiah is commissioned by God to speak to the Jews. But God tells him they're not going to listen. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to understand the message uh, that you will preach. They will remain in, your, in their sin. Why? Because the exile will happen. I have given them this land, but their rebellion, their sin, they are going to be taken out of the land and taken to, the, taken to Babylon in their sin. But you see, this was part of God's plan. You see, Isaiah was told right at the very start of his ministry that he would be preaching to an unresponsive crowd. What a hard job that would have been, to preach to people who will not listen. But you see, it's the same for Jesus. You see, the crowds wouldn't listen to him. In fact, the crowds couldn't listen to him because of his scripture prediction. You see, God had blinded them. They were blinded. They could not hear. They could not understand. But see, that was part of God's plan because Jesus had to go to the cross. You see, they were stopped from seeing because if they had believed, maybe Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross and he would not have been crucified. But you see, the cross, as we've seen, is crucial. He had to die because that is where glory comes. No cross, no glory. And so God blinds them. And while we may want to kick and scream and say, hey, that's not fair. That's not fair that God blinded them. See, whenever we think about God's sovereignty, we must remember human responsibility exactly the same time. They go hand in hand, human responsibility and God's sovereignty. Because have a look at the way that the people responded at that time. Have a look there from verse 42. Yet at the same time, Many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise 
more than the praise from God. But I actually really like the rendering from the ESV, and so I've got it up on the screen for us, uh, because in a passage that is full of glory, and it's the word is exactly the same, it says this, for they loved the glory that, that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see, while there were some who seemed to believe, some people, some leaders, you see, we see the truth here about their faith. You see, they love sin and the praise and glory that comes from people rather than the praise and glory that comes from God. You see, they had a weak faith. They feared losing their position in the synagogue. They feared being ostracized and hated and shunned by the Jews, socially, religiously. And so they did the easy thing. They did not acknowledge their faith. But we see when it comes to God's glory, we have seen that God is glorified through the cross, through crucifixion and death. And so as Jesus told us earlier in verse 25, you see, to be honoured by God and to bring him glory is to die to this world, to hate the world and to gain eternal life. But see, the opposite of this, of the praise and glory of man, well, that is easy. That is to live like everybody else, the comfortable, easy life with the status quo of society. But let me ask you, which glory do you want? Are you tempted by the praise and glory of humanity? The easy, comfortable, safe and popular route? Are you afraid of being kicked out of the synagogue? being kicked out of the workplace, of being ostracized, hated, shunned by your close friends and family because of your faith. And so do you hide it. But as we have seen here, that is sin and that is living for the praise of glory and man. Or are we willing to be ostracized and hated, shunned by those around us and to live a life of of persecution and rejection Are we willing to die for this world, to hate the world, to gain eternal life and to follow Jesus in his death? And whilst it's true that we need to be like the world to reach the world, that is, we we can't separate ourselves from the world to reach the world like monks or or people up on a high mountain. No, no, no. We, We are to live in the world. We are to be part of the world. And yet we do need to be careful. I think we really need to really assess and look inward on the way that we are living among the world and ask, are we truly dying to the world to reach the world? Or are we just using it as an excuse to love the world and to love the praise that comes from men? Uh, A classic example of this, I think, comes from uh, Q&A. You know the show that comes on Monday night on ABC? They hate Christians. They're always bagging Christians on that show. I don't know if you're, you're aware of it. But anyway, Christians are very popular. And, and I've got two examples of two different people who, both Christians, and the way that they kind of presented themselves on there. On the one hand, one person, the way they spoke, the way they engaged, they were loved. You know the Twitter feed that kind of comes down the bottom? All the, all the, there's all these tweets that kind of come on uh, down the bottom. And when this guy came on, he spoke very positive and nice, and people loved him. Down the bottom, the tweets were, 
this guy's great. Oh, how good's this? Progressive Christianity. Oh, this guy's awesome. How good's that? That is on one side. The other side was this was this older man, and and he boldly proclaimed the gospel, the crucified Christ. And what happened? Well, he was hated upon. He was rejected. He's just some old man. He knows nothing. He's a bigot. He's a dumb fool. That is what they said. What is it that we want? Do we want the glory of man or do we want the glory of God? Because I think there is a danger for each of us. There are ways that we can be ashamed of the cross and be tempted to love the glory that comes from people. When we're in a new job, or a new environment, a new, a new house, a new anything. Or when we're catching up with friends we've not seen from. Are we ashamed of the crucified Lord? And while it might be easy to believe when we're hanging out with our church family, do we do it when we're on our own, when we are outside in the world? But you see, as we've seen, to follow Jesus, we are to be like him. The way to glory for him was through the cross and for us at his death to the world. Or will we live for the world and lose it? Let us ask God for his help that we will die to the world and live for Christ. Let's pray. (coughs) Father God Almighty, we give you abundant thanks for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he did the hard thing, that he went to the cross to die a grueling, awful death, but it was to your glory that Satan was defeated, that, that death is gone, that forgiveness can be received, that the hope of life can be, can be received by trusting in him. Father, as Jesus died to receive glory, we do pray that you would help us to also follow Jesus in these footsteps, to live radical lives that put death to me and self, to not live for this world but to live for Jesus as well, that we would die to the world and to live for Christ. Father, help us do that and help us encourage one another to do that well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.